Today we are back in the book of Joshua, chapter 10. Would you join me in opening up your Bible tonight to the book of Joshua, chapter 10? There's no greater, no sweeter sound in church, in the house of God, than when people worship or the sound of the pages of Bibles turning from the pews. Amen. And we've learned here in the book of Joshua that the land of blessing, that the promised land is a land that is also not only filled with God's promises, but the land of blessing is filled with intensive warfare. (laughs) And, And many of us know that as God has called us to step out, that that place of blessing is also the place of warfare. And we're learning a lot of important lessons as we go through the book of Joshua that that disobedience and that prayerlessness means inevitable defeat. We will always be defeated when we disobey and when we deny prayer. But also, obedience and a prayerful watchfulness ensures the believer victory. So we have to ask ourselves as we are journeying through the book of Joshua, are we being obedient and are we praying? Are we praying? You see, from chapter 9 to chapter 10, we go from the neglect of prayer to the power of prayer. How many of us here believe that there is power in prayer? Amen. Yeah, there is. And we titled tonight's message, The Weapon of Prayer. Because if we are in warfare, we must use our spiritual weapons to fight in this spiritual battle. And the moment that we deny prayer, we're also denying God from the work that he's called us to do. So we're going to see in chapter 10 of Joshua, the power of prayer in spiritual now warfare. The power of prayer in spiritual warfare. Warfare. We saw in the previous chapter that Joshua and the nation of Israel were deceived. They were deceived because they didn't inquire from the mouth of God. And here they believed these strangers that that were from the next town over, that they made themselves look as foreigners from a very distant now land, and they received them and made a peace treaty. But the deception crept in to the nation of Israel now, the corruption of truth crept in when they neglected to pray. So likewise in our lives, when we neglect to pray, we will be easily deceived by the enemy. That's where we're learning to be alert, to be watchful in prayer. Because when you stop praying, you start to make all the wrong decisions. And the decisions that we make without prayer are decisions that are based off of fear, They're decisions that are based off of emotion, and they're decisions that are based off deception. This is why the Christian believer, the man and the woman of God, must be praying so that when you pray, you're also listening to the voice of God speaking to you. And when he speaks, the question is this, are you listening? Are you listening? Because here it's not only about stepping out in faith, it's also about listening 
to the voice of God. Do you remember in Hebrews chapter 11, in that great chapter, the hall of faith, (laughs) that the apostle says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Not only are we called to step out in faith, but he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So what is God looking for in the life of the man and woman in spiritual warfare? That we would be people that are learning to be men and women of faith. Notice one, faith. People of prayer. But notice we're going to learn a third lesson, people of wisdom. And Joshua is learning that. And we're learning that as we read this chapter, as we're studying this book, that we ought to be people of faith people of prayer, but because we exercise faith in prayer, notice that we begin to learn to be people of wisdom. People of wisdom. And here in chapter 10, we're going to see how Joshua prays, asking God for the impossible. But how many of us know that with God, nothing is impossible? And Joshua's faith is rooted in that that he's stepping out with nothing but a promise from God. (laughs) Now notice what happens here in verse 1 of Joshua chapter 10. It says, Now it came to pass when Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard how Joshua had taken Ai and had utterly destroyed, as he had done to Jericho, its king's, So it was that he had done to Ai its kings, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them that they feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city like the one of the royal cities, and because it was greater than Ai, and all its men were mighty. Let's pray. Lord Heavenly Father, we come before you right now. And we ask that you would speak to us about the weapon of prayer. That we would be people that are given to prayer so that we would become people of not only faith, people of prayer, but also people of wisdom. And Lord, that you would, through prayer, we would depend on it. Through prayer, we would depend on you. In Jesus' name, together we said, amen. Now, notice that as we talk about prayer, we have to understand that we ought to depend on God in every battle through prayer. Not depend on experience, but depend on God through prayer. There are times in spiritual warfare, in the life of the believer, as we're growing and we're going on in our spiritual walk, that we begin to value experience more than prayer. We begin to value gifts more than we value prayer. And here Joshua is going back to the only thing that works, and that's praying and calling on God. So notice what happens here in verse 1, that it came to pass to Adonai Zedek, a king whose name means the Lord is righteous. A king here who was in the land of Canaan, and where now the nation of Israel is invading and taking the land. It says, had heard of the king of Jerusalem, heard how Joshua 
had taken Ai and had utterly destroyed it. Now, I want you to circle those words, utterly destroyed it. (laughs) Why? Because it comes up six times in this chapter, utterly destroyed it. Why is it that God wanted Joshua to utterly destroy the land and to destroy the inhabitants of the land? Because God wanted a separation between the nation of Israel and those that were worshiping pagan idols and worship. And he says, in order for you to take this land, you have to drive out the enemy. In order for you to live a spirit-filled life, we have to drive out the enemy from our lives. We have to drive out the flesh or the power of the flesh away from us. We're in a spiritual warfare, and the enemy is the devil, the world, and the flesh. What is the enemy for the believer? The world, the flesh, and the devil. And we are called to utterly destroy it. <laughs> any hints of the world in us, any hints of the flesh that are creeping up, we are called to destroy it. And here they are destroying or they're driving out now the enemy. Do you remember in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, what did Paul tell the church of Corinth? Don't be unequally yoked together with an unbeliever. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? What does God want? A separation between the believer and the unbeliever. Because what happens? We easily become influenced by the world. By the world. And oftentimes we think, well, this relationship is not going to pull me away from God. But before you know it, you're drifting. You're drifting. Why? Because you have came into peace with the world. But notice what happens here. It says that they heard that they utterly had destroyed it as he had done to Jericho and its king. So he had done to Ai and its king and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them. Now what happened here is that Adonai Zedek, the king of Jerusalem, this is the first mention of Jerusalem in the Bible, heard that Jericho had been destroyed by the nation of Israel. And they feared greatly because not only Jericho and Ai, but also Gibeon. Gibeon was the second now largest territory in the land of Canaan. After Jericho, it was Gibeon. In fact, Gibeon was larger than Ai. It was a great city. So when the enemy heard that Gibeon had made peace with the nation of Israel, now notice what happens is that they conspire against Gibeon. They form a coalition against Israel as well. Have you noticed that Satan always wants to attack those that affiliate themselves with God's people? Satan also always wants to attack those that are affiliating and associating themselves with the nation of Israel. Now notice what happens here in this very next verse, verse 2. And they feared greatly because Gibeon was great. It was a great city like the one of the royal cities. And because it was greater than Ai, and all its men were mighty. How could Gibeon surrender to the nation of Israel? See, now the other nations were scared. Therefore Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, sent to Hoam, king of Jebron, Piram, king of Jermoth, Japhia, king of Lachish, and Debor, king of Eglon, saying, now they form a coalition. These five kings coming together, conspiring against the nation of Israel. And notice what happens. It says, come up to me and help me. Notice what 
Adonai Zedek does. That we may attack Gibeon, for it has made peace with Joshua and with the children of Israel. So all these southern kings combined and gathered together. All the armies camped for a united attack and war against Gibeon. Why? Because Gibeon associated itself with Israel. Because Gibeon affiliated itself now with the nation of Israel. And what does Adonai Zedek want to do in the southern kings? They want to discourage Gibeon. They want to attack the nation of Israel. Notice this. The enemy will always want to come and attack and divide those that come and make peace now with God's called, with God's committed, with God's elect. The enemy here trying to stop the flow of the Holy Spirit that's taking place as they're now taking on more of the land. How many of us know that God is using now this for his own purpose and plan? (laughs) Now notice this. Joshua and the nation of Israel was going to take, they were going to take all these territories one by one. But now that they gather together, the Lord is going to use that so that Joshua can take them all at once without them even knowing now. And what happens here is that Joshua yet made a mistake in the previous chapter by making peace with the, with the people of Gibeon. But God often even uses our mistakes for his purposes. You know what that's called? Grace. (laughs) When God uses our mistakes for his purposes, because no mistake is final to the dedicated Christian. The dedicated Christian that is running towards the grace of God, God will even use that for his purposes and his plan. And let's take a look here at verse 5 and 6. Because it says, therefore, the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon gathered together and went up. They and all their armies encamped before Gibeon and made war against it. What do they do? They come, they make war against Gibeon, and the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua. Now notice this, the Gibeonites call to Joshua. I want you to remember that Joshua's name means Jehovah is salvation. Joshua is a type of Christ for us or Jesus in the Old Testament. His name means salvation. And what do the Gibeonites do? They do something that we ought to do in time of trouble, turn to Jesus. In time of trouble, call on the Lord. Because what happens here, it says that the the men of of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp at Gilgal, saying, do not forsake your servants. Come up to us quickly. Save us and help us. What do they say? Save us and help us, Joshua. For all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the mountains have gathered together against us. They were headed to destruction. And they call on Joshua and then says, come save us now. Help us because these southern kings have joined forces to attack us. What a picture for us to turn to Jesus by faith when we're facing spiritual battles in life. You see, there are times where we turn to everywhere else, but we don't turn to the right place, and that is to Christ. And here they turn to Joshua. But notice what happens here in verse 7. Because it says, so Joshua 
ascended from Gilgal and all the people of war with him and all the mighty men of valor. What is it that Joshua does as they call? Joshua rose to the occasion. Joshua had made a pact and he rises up as a man of integrity from Gilgal. What was the place of Gilgal? What was he doing there? Gilgal was a place where he was conquered by God. Gilgal was a place where the Lord told Joshua now to circumcise the next generation, to cut away the flesh. Where the flesh was conquered by the Lord, there Joshua kept the same attitude. That's where victory begins, at Gilgal, where we cut away the flesh. And it said that Joshua was there and he ascended or he rose to the occasion. Why? Because he had made a peace treaty to defend the Gibeonites. And it said here in verse 7, he rose from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and all the mighty men of valor, the best warriors of Joshua that were loyal to him, rose up. What does Joshua do? He honors his commitment. Isn't it awesome to know men and women of God that not only are people of God's word, but people of their own word, that they honor their commitments? Joshua rises up where it says that he ascends and he takes responsibility. What does he do as he takes responsibility? He kept the word that he would say that he would honor them and he would protect them even after they lied to him. Isn't that what the Lord does even after we've now fallen short? The Lord is still faithful. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 2.13, Paul said, that, that it says that he is faithful even when we are what? Faithless. He cannot deny himself. That is the attribute of Christ, his faithfulness. And we're starting to see here the faithfulness of Joshua to his word and that he is a man of integrity. But what does Joshua do as he's about to go into battle? He learns to call on the Lord. Maybe you, you're right now in battle, in spiritual warfare, in a place where you have to make a decision. Are you calling on the Lord? Because it says here in the next verse, and the Lord said to Joshua. <laughs> Isn't this awesome that we continue to see every chapter the Lord said to Joshua? <laughs> what was Joshua? He was a man under authority. <laughs> He was a man under submission. He was a man under the orders of the Lord because he's listening to the voice of God. What a reminder. And the Lord said to Joshua. But look at the reminder that he gives him. The same reminder that he has given him from chapter 1 and on. It says, do not fear them. Do not be afraid. God calls you to step out. And one of the things that the enemy wants to do is to bring fear into your life so that you don't step out to do that which God has called you to do. And we're paralyzed by fear instead of moved forward by faith. Now, before every battle, what does Joshua do? He has an affirmation of the presence of God that is going with him. What does the Lord tell him here? He gives him a promise. And in prayer, you're reminded of the promises of God because it says, do not fear them, for I have delivered them into your hand. No man of them shall stand before you. <laughs> what a promise here that Joshua receives. All these five kings, these southern kings have now formed a coalition against Joshua. And he says, don't fear them <laughs> because I've delivered them into your hand. I'm going to protect you. In fact, not one man of them will be able to stand against you. You know the difference here that took place when Joshua heard the voice of the Lord? He believed the word of God. 
There are times in our lives that we go to Scripture and we know and we read the promises of God, but do we really believe them enough to step out in faith? Do we believe them enough to obey? Because here now he believed God's word and he's encouraged to step out because of the promises of God and because of what God would accomplish through him. Don't you love that Joshua is in a situation where he is forced to depend and trust in God right now? Five kings coming against Joshua and the nation of Israel. That he was overpowered, but what did God say? I'm going to deliver them into your hand. There are times in our lives that God is going to place us in those uncrossable and impossible situations where we are forced to depend on him only so that our faith can grow. You know why God has you there? So your faith can grow. Because every battle is a test. Every battle is a test. Every test comes with a lesson. And every lesson is only a preparation to take another step of faith. That's why we have to continue in prayer. And you know what happens here? He says, don't be afraid. <laughs> don't fear. And that's why we have to see fear and call it for what it is. You know what really fear is? At, at its core, fear, it's unbelief. Fear is unbelief. Now, it's the unwillingness to believe what God has promised. <laughs> and hear what he's saying. Don't be afraid. Believe in what I have promised. That not one word that I have said is going to fail. <laughs> I love it in, in, in 1 Kings chapter 8 where Solomon, King Solomon is, is praying and, and he's speaking to the nation of Israel and, and he's crying out to the Lord and he says, Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to the people of Israel according to all he has promised. Notice what he says here now. There has not failed one word of all of his good promises. What an assurance, a promise here that not one word that God promised through his servant Moses, not one word has failed. Why? Because God's promises are sure and God's promises are faithful. You can trust them. So here he's telling Joshua, do not be afraid. Verse 9, it says, Joshua therefore came up them suddenly, having marched all night from Gilgal. Where was he? In the place where the flesh was conquered. Therefore, it means with that in mind, having received a promise, he stepped out in faith. Having received an order, therefore, he stepped out in faith. Having received a word from the Lord, he obeyed. But he came up upon them with a strategy. What does it say? He marched all night from Gilgal. You know what it looks like marching all night? That looks like a lot of stamina. <laughs> it looks like commitment now. And he took now these armies by surprise because not only was he filled with faith, but he was filled with wisdom that God would do it. And this now, we're going to see that he starts to pray with participation in the work and in the will of God. You know that we have to pray and then participate in the work and in the will of God? It's not simply enough to pray and then to stay back. We must pray and then also step out. <laughs> there are times in our lives where we pray, notice what happens. We say, Lord, give us that land, or Lord, give us those promises, but we wait and we do nothing. <laughs> and then we're not able to see everything that God has for us. 
What did Joshua do? He believed in God's word. But number two, notice what he did. He did his best when it came to his own responsibility. It said he marched all night. He traveled all night to reach the Gibeonites. Why? Because faith, notice what James says, faith without works. What is it? It's dead. And we can pray all, all we want, and we should pray. But the weapon of prayer is unfinished until God's people are moved into action. Until God's people are moved into action. Yes, you believe the scripture, but have you marched out to pray all night to see it come to pass? Yes, we believe the God, God's word, but have you stepped out in faith and to see the Lord unfold that promise now? And it says in the very next verse, verse 10, so the Lord routed them before Israel. Who did the Lord rout? The enemy. And killed them with a great slaughter at Gibeon, these five nations. The Lord threw them into a panic. The Lord was fighting the battles of the nation of Israel. He struck them down. He directed their battles. And it, not only that, but it says that now there was a divine intervention. Because it says along the road that goes to Beth Horon and struck them down as far as Azekah and Makeda. In verse 11, here we see the Lord becoming involved fighting the battles for the nation of Israel. And it happened as they fled. These five kings and the nations start to run away now from the attacks of the nation of Israel. And it says here now that they were fleeing from before Israel now. And as they were fleeing before Israel, and they went unto the descent of Beth Horon, that the Lord cast down large hailstones from heaven on them as far as Azekah. And they died. And there were more who died from the hailstones than the children of Israel killed with a sword. <laughs> now you have to imagine, notice this picture that the Lord is fighting the battles for the nation of Israel, but now you start to see that as they start running away, the Lord says, he's not gonna let the enemy get away. How many of us know that the Lord has the final victory over the enemy, amen? He does. And the enemy starts to try to get away, but then the Lord says from heaven, these hailstones start to come down. Well, what's interesting now, that God is so divine. God is in the details that when you think about this, the stones were only hitting the enemy soldiers. And these stones now, as they stepped out, they received God's help. And this is what kept them going, that they believed in God's promises, but they also believed that God would do the impossible for them. And not only that, but it tells us that more now were killed by the power of God than by the power of the sword. How many of us trust the power of the sword? And oftentimes we put so much trust in the power of the sword that we don't put our trust in the power of God. You know what the lesson here is? That our confidence should not be in the power of the sword because more is accomplished in the power of God than any other kind of human strength. Do you see what happens here? But now Joshua, in verse 12, we see something change here. Because after hearing 10 chapters of the Lord said to Joshua, the Lord said to Joshua, now in verse 12, it says, and Joshua spoke to the Lord. Well, this is amazing here. Joshua spoke to the Lord. What was it that Joshua was doing? He was sensitive first to listen before he speaks. He wants to be a listener before he can speak. And notice what happens here. 
that we, we learn that God was listening to Joshua because Joshua first listened to God. There are a lot of times we come into the presence of God with a lot of things to say. But how many times do we go into the presence of God ready to listen? Now you see that the Lord said to Joshua, and he's going to pray a very bold prayer. He's going to pray for the impossible. His, his prayer is going to be filled with faith. It's going to be filled with courage. He prays a sun stand still prayer. How many of us ever prayed a prayer like that? Sun stand still. There are times we become very intimidated by the things that we pray about. But know this, God still answers prayers today. And when he asks you to step out in faith, notice what he wants you to do is to trust him in the process. To trust him in the process. Notice what happens here in verse 12. It says, then Joshua spoke to the Lord in the days when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel. And he said, in the sight of Israel, notice he's praying in the presence of all the people as well. He's a leader that prays. On the day that the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel, in the sight of all of Israel, this is what he prays. Here they are in battle. They're running out of time. And notice what he prays. He, he prays a prayer that is so bold, but it's believing that God can do this. <laughs> he prays out of faith, not out of fear. And he says, sun, stand still over Gibeon, and moon in the valley of Agilon. So the sun, notice in verse 13, how God answered his prayer, stood still, and the moon stopped till the people had revenge upon their enemies. How many of you guys can praise God for that verse? The people had revenge over the enemies. <laughs> now we have to, when we read this, believe that God can do this today. You see, Joshua knew he was running out of time, out of daylight. And notice what he asked the Lord. He asked the Lord for more opportunity for him to continue to fight. He didn't say, Lord, why don't you just finish them off and we'll go back home? Do you just do your thing with the hailstones, and, and we'll go back to camp. <laughs> you know what he says? Lord, I pray that the sun would stand still so that we have more opportunity to overcome the enemy. You see how Joshua was serious about praying? He was serious about finding answers from God. The Bible tells us that the sun stopped now, that, that, the, that the earth had light even more than the time they would have in those 24 hours, and the people were able to conquer and finish the battle. You know what this teaches us? That God always gives us what we need to finish the battle. So we are not to quit too early. We are not to finish or give in before the battle is completed. What did God give him? God gave him a miracle. <laughs> The Bible tells us that without uh, him, we can do nothing. But with him, all things are possible. In fact, in verse 13, it says this, as we continue reading, is this not written in the book of Jasher? It's a historical book that gives account now of the wars of the nation of Israel that took place. Now, we don't have this book, or this book was not entered into the 66 books by the Holy Spirit but this book now has that recorded in itself that the sun 
stood still, notice verse 13, in the midst of heaven and did not hasten to go down for about a whole day. Now, some people say, skeptics, well, I thought the sun didn't move. I thought the earth moved. This is wrong. (laughs) You know, we have to trust in God's word knowing that that day, that as the earth was revolving, as God holds the universe in the span of his hand, he allowed it and he made it possible for the nation of Israel to have enough daylight in that time to finish the battle that they had started. You know what this teaches us? That we should never be intimidated to take any request into prayer and into the Lord. There are times when we say, well, you know what? We're not even going to pray about that. That is too big. Now think about how Joshua felt. He was praying that the the sun would stand still. (laughs) There are times that we think about maybe a, a, a spouse or a family member or an impossible health situation, and we say, well, Lord, we don't know if you really can do this, but here it is. Here's the prayer. (laughs) Do you truly believe that God can answer your prayer? Do you truly believe that there is power in the name of Jesus? I love it in Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 17, where the the prophet says, Oh, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and your outstretched arm. There is nothing too hard for you. There is nothing too hard for you. Now, notice this. The same God that Joshua prayed to that day is the same God that we pray to tonight. The God that can make the sun stand still. And we see God's protection, we see God's power, we see God's presence in the nation of Israel that he affirmed now to them. This was the affirmation, the display of God's presence for them. But was it a miracle? There are times that we shy away from that word, a miracle. We think that's weird. Wait, a miracle? Are you sure? I haven't seen one of those in a while. When we think miracle, we think just things that we read about. But you know what a miracle means? The definition of a miracle means an act of God. That's a miracle. Look to your neighbor. That's a miracle. It's a miracle there at church tonight. Why? Because we are lost. And not only by, it's only by the grace of God, by the Holy Spirit, that he's brought us in. But notice this miracle that takes place, an act of God. Because in verse 14, it says this, and there had been no day like that before or after it. There had not been a day before or after that the Lord heeded the voice of a man for the Lord fought for Israel. What a beautiful verse we get here. There's not been a day before or after that God answered this type of prayer. Notice what happens, because the Lord was fighting for Israel. See, there's nothing more comforting than when you know that God is fighting for you. But it said here that the Lord heeded the voice of a man and fought for it greatly. God was listening to Joshua. God listens to the voice of that person that himself, that herself, has first listened to the voice of God. Are you listening to the voice of God for direction? Because if there's anything that we learn here is that One person in prayer can gain God's attention. (laughs) Just imagine what can happen if the whole church unanimously in one accord came to prayer. God can and will fulfill his promises. 
It's up to us if we're praying and if we're stepping out in faith because notice this, nothing can stand in the way of God fulfilling his word. The doors that God opens, no man can shut them. No matter who comes against it. And here the promises of God to the nation of Israel, to Joshua, are being wide open. What did God promise? Joshua, I'm gonna give you the land. And he's willing to let the sun stand still so that Joshua can finish the battle. What does God desire when it comes to prayer? God desires that we call on him. God desires that we call on him. I'm gonna give you three verses, and I pray you write these down. Psalms 50, verse 15, it says this, call upon me in the day of trouble. Psalms 50, verse 15, call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. What does God say? Call upon me in that day of trouble. I'm going to deliver you from that situation. And after that, you're going to glorify me. I'm going to receive the glory. Every time God does a miracle, every time God answers a prayer, every time God opens a door, every time God calls you to take a step of faith now or delivers you, is so that he would receive the glory. In Isaiah 58, verse 9, notice this. The Lord says, then you shall call. Again, the word call, call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, hear I am. Isn't that amazing that to know that when, when we call on the Lord, he answers? And notice what he says, here I am. He's ready to hear you call unto him. But one of our favorites, Jeremiah 33.3, call to me, notice this, and I will answer you. There's some of us so discouraged that we have stopped calling on the Lord. We don't believe that he's hearing our prayer. Understand this, that we ought to pray and not to faint. Because the word, God's word says, call unto me and I will answer you and I will show you great and mighty things which you do not know. I will put my power on display. Call unto me. We need to be ready to he see the power of God. I love what C.S. Lewis said when he said this, the mind which asks for a non-miraculous Christianity, the mind which asks for a non-miraculous Christianity is a mind in process of relapsing from Christianity into mere religion. When we say that we are no longer a part of or expecting miracles of God, you know what we're doing? We're going from Christianity into just religion. <laughs> because the book of Acts is filled with miracles. And you know what? Today the church is still living in the book of Acts. We are crying out and saying, Lord, we want the power of the Holy Spirit so that we continue to walk in obedience. Now notice what happens here in verse 15 now of Joshua chapter 10. Then Joshua returned and all of Israel with him to the camp at Gilgal. After they saw the victory, after the Lord gave him what he needed, after the Lord answered his prayer, he returned back to the camp at Gilgal. And look what Joshua does as he calls to his army. But these five kings fled and hid themselves in a cave at Makeda. What do the kings do who represent the enemy, who represent the flesh that is coming against what God wants to do that represents now our spiritual enemies. It says they escaped now and they, they hid at a cave. And it was told to Joshua saying the five kings have been found. They're hiding in a cave at Makeda. <laughs> hey, Joshua, we found the five kings. They escaped. They're hiding in a cave. So Joshua said, roll the large stones against the mouth of the cave. 
and set a man by it to guard them. He says, okay, they're hiding in that cave. Why don't you put a stone at the mouth of that cave? Don't let them out. <laughs> Look at the wisdom in Joshua. And it says, set a guard on them so that they are not able to come out. But notice verse 19, and do not stay there yourselves. Set, them one, set someone there, but pursue your enemies. Let no one escape. You know the Christian believer ought not to let the enemy escape? I'm not to let the flesh get away. Don't let the enemy escape or get away. Why? Because God has given you victory over the enemy. And that's why he says this in verse 19. But pursue your enemies and attack their rear guard. Chase the enemy. Attack the rear guard. Do not allow them to enter their cities. For the Lord your God has delivered him into your hand. Why are you to press on? Because God has delivered the enemy into your hand. God has not only given you the land, the promise was, but God has also given you the enemy over to your hand. Do you see here that God's promises do not exempt us from battle? They just give us the ability to win it. <laughs> you oftentimes think, and, and we believe, well, these promises, I receive all these promises. Why am I in, in such great warfare? <laughs> because the promises of God are for the battle. Because the promises of God are what you hold on to during spiritual warfare. And notice in verse 20, it says, Then it happened, while Joshua and the children of Israel made an end of slaying them with a great slaughter, till they had finished, that those who escaped entered fortified cities. There was a little remnant that escaped, but Joshua completely crushed them. Out of all those five armies, only a small amount escaped. And all the people returned to the camp to Joshua and Makeda in peace. Notice why they returned, because they fought in spiritual warfare. So they came back, what? In peace. And no one moved his tongue against any of the children of Israel. <laughs> now underline that in your Bible. No one moved their tongue against one another. <laughs> no one moved their tongue against God's people. No one dared to speak a word against God's appointed or to criticize or to complain or to sharpen their tongue against them, slander, because they were speaking against what God was doing. You know what we have to be careful of? Speaking against what God is doing. And you know what happens here is that there was a godly fear among them. When there's a godly fear among us, we are fearful of speaking against what God is doing. Why? Because we're submitted to God. We're under authority. We can see the hand of God moving. So what happens here in verse 22, it said, Then Joshua said, Open the mouth of the cave and bring out the five kings to me from the cave. Now open up. Remove the rock now. Bring out the kings. And notice what's going to happen here. They're going to get rid of the kings that were hiding in the caves. Have you ever noticed that there are those things that are hiding in our lives, the spiritual enemies that are still alive, that are just hiding? You know what Joshua says? Get them out. We're going to destroy them. Why? Because if you don't destroy the flesh, the flesh will destroy you. It will destroy you. Do you remember King Saul? What happened to King Saul? That the Lord told him through Samuel to kill all the Amalekites. And what happened? That he spared the Amalekites. And Samuel came and says, what is this that you have done? You spared the Amalekites. 
But Saul says, but look at my sacrifice. Look at the altar. Look what I'm bringing before the Lord. And Samuel says, be quiet, Saul. (laughs) To obey is better than to sacrifice. There are a lot of times we come to the Lord and say, Lord, look what I'm doing for you. And the Lord says, I don't want to see your sacrifice. First, I want to see your obedience. First, I want to see your obedience. Because obedience comes before sacrifice. And here what's happening in verse 22 is that Joshua is obeying. Now let's read this here. It says, and bring out those five kings. And they did so and brought out those five kings to him from the cave. The king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon. So when they brought out those kings, notice what happens. That Joshua called for the men of Israel and said to the captain of the men of war, who went with him, come near, put your feet on the necks of the kings, and they drew near and put their feet on their necks. Notice that. What a sim- symbolic declaration of victory. <laughs> Get the kings, put them on the floor. Now put your feet on the necks of the king. And no- notice how he's going to encourage the people. He's going to encourage them the way he was encouraged by God. He's going to pass on that encouragement. With these very words, he says this. Then Joshua said to them, do not be afraid, no dismayed. <laughs> This is exactly what the Lord told him. But now he's passing it on now to the people and to the nation of Israel. Don't be scared of these people with, while they have, the captains have the feet on the necks of these kings. And he's encouraging the people in the same way. He's giving them confidence now and encouragement. And notice what it says. Be strong and of good courage, for thus the Lord will do to all of your enemies against whom you fight. God is going to do that. He's going to give you victory over them. And God's going to give us victory over the enemy today. Where is Satan? Under our feet in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. What a promise that we have here. The enemy is under submission now by the power and by the blood of the Lord now. What does the Bible says? Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. That's why we should use this pattern and never allow any place in our lives for spiritual enemies. All the ground in our lives, all the territory belongs to Jesus Christ, and we must take it all for him. So they're making a statement here. It says, and afterward, Joshua struck them and killed them and hanged them on five trees, and they were hanging on the trees until evening. What was he doing here? Verse 27. So it was at the time of the going down of the sun that Joshua commanded that they took them down from the trees, cast them into the cave where they had been hidden and laid large stones against the cave's mouth, which remain until this very day. Take them down from that tree after they had killed him, put him back into the cave and roll the stone out. Why? Because you can't ignore or you can't compromise God's instructions. You cannot ignore and you cannot compromise the instructions of the Lord. Now let's see here from verse 28, as we just read through the victories that God gave to Joshua, he took him from victory after victory. Why victory after victory? Because his life was submitted to the Lord. You want to live a life of victory? Then is your life submitted to the Lord? Notice what happens here. These seven kings and cities, after the, the, the conquest of, of the southern now area of Canaan, were utterly destroyed. It says here, on that day, Joshua took Makeda and struck at its kings 
with the edge of the sword. He utterly destroyed it. Here it is again, wiping it out, driving it out. Them and all the people were in it. He let none remain. He let nothing survive. He also did it to the king of Makeda as he had done to the king of Jericho. Then Joshua passed from Makeda and all of Israel with him to Libna and they fought against Libna. And the Lord also delivered it and its kings into the hand of Israel. He struck it and all the people who were in it with the edge of the sword and he let none remain in it and he did it to its kings as he had done to the kings of Jericho. Notice, he let nothing remain. He utterly destroyed then Joshua passed from Livna and all of Israel with Lachish, and they encamped against it and fought against it. Another kingdom. What happens here? And the Lord delivered Lachish into the hand of Israel, who took it on the second day and struck it. All the people were in it with the edge of the sword, according to all that he had done to Livna. What is the Lord doing? Again, delivering one place after the other, because Joshua was submitted to the Lord. Then Horam, the king of Gezer, came up to help Lachish. And Joshua struck it and all his people until he had left none remaining. Leave nothing remaining of that which God has called us to drive out out of our lives. From Lachish, Joshua passed the eagle and all of Israel with him, and they encamped against it and fought it. And they took it on that day and struck it with the edge of the sword. And all the people were in it. He utterly destroyed that day according to all he had done in Lachish. What is he doing? Utterly destroying. So we continue reading. So Joshua went up from Eglon and all of Israel with him to Hebron, and they fought against it again. From one place to another, he captured it, he killed it, he destroyed the land, and he conquered the land as the Lord is telling them. And they took it and struck it with the edge of the sword. Its kings, its cities, and all the people were in it. He left none remaining according to all that he had done to Eglon, but he utterly destroyed it and all the people who were in it. Then Joshua returned and all of Israel with him to Debar, and they fought against it. And he took it and its kings and its cities and struck them with the edge of the sword and utterly destroyed all the people who were in it. He left none remaining as he had done to Hebron, so he did to Debar and its kings, and he had done also to Libna and its kings. So Joshua conquered all the land, the mountain country, the south, the lowlands, and the wilderness, the slopes, and all the kings. He left none remaining, but he utterly destroyed all that breathed as the Lord God had commanded. Now circle that word in verse 40, as the Lord God had commanded. What is the Lord commanding? To drive out the spiritual enemy. That there ought to be no area in our life that we leave unconquered by the Holy Spirit that there ought to be no area in our life that we have not surrendered to the Lord. What does the Bible tell us in Romans chapter 6? Reckon yourself to be dead to sin and alive to Christ. You know what it means? Put the flesh out of business. <laughs> and let your life be lived after the Spirit. Romans 13, 14, it says, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Give no opportunity for the spiritual enemy. Give no now opportunity for the flesh to come and have victory over the spirits. There are times that we want to see, we want people to see Jesus in us, but they can't see Jesus in us because the flesh keeps getting in the way. The flesh keeps getting in the way. And notice what happens here in verse 41. And Joshua conquered them from Kadesh Barnea as far as Gaza 
and all the country of Goshen, even as far as, as far as Gibeon. Here's the verse. And all the kings of their land, Joshua took one at a time because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. Why? Because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. Why was it? Because God was fighting their battles. Then Joshua returned and all of Israel with him to the camp at Gilgal. What do we see here? That the Lord is fighting our battles for us. He provides the victory. We have to walk in it. How do we walk in it? By prayer, by denying the flesh, and by walking in obedience. Notice this, every battle is a test, and every test comes with a lesson, but every lesson is a preparation for another step of faith so that we continue to trust in the Lord. How many of us believe that God can still do the impossible today? Amen. Awesome. Why don't we pray, Lord, we come before you right now, Jesus. And Lord, we do ask that you would make the sun stand still, Lord. We turn to you, we rely on the power of prayer. We know that nothing and no one can stand in the way of what you want to do, Lord, but we cry out to you. We know that there is power in prayer and, and maybe today you're in a situation where you believe you need a miracle. You need an act of God for this situation, for this prayer request. I want you to know that God wants to answer that prayer according to his will. That God is still answering prayers tonight. That God is still fighting your battles. If that's you tonight, you're saying, well, I need the Lord's help. I want you to just stand where you are right now. Just stand up saying, I need a miracle from God in this situation. Just stand right where you are. We're a group of broken people tonight that we need the Lord. We need a miracle. Now, if you're next to anybody that's standing, I want you to just surround them, put your hand on their shoulder, and let's pray for them. Lord, we ask, Lord, that you would answer prayers tonight. We pray for the marriages that need a sun stand still prayer. We pray for the prodigal children. We pray for those that are battling with the flesh, with addictions, Lord. Those that need your hand to just come and take over. We know that you don't want to just take part. You want to take over our lives. So we believe, Lord, that you can do it. We pray for that sickness. That person that maybe is in the hospital right now. That person that needs deliverance from the strongholds of the devil. Lord, we ask for a miracle right now in the name of Jesus. We believe that you can do it, Lord. We ask that we would be a church that is filled with your hand, Lord, in and throughout, Lord, that we would see miracles take place, God. Wonders and signs, Lord. 
your word promises them, Lord, but we have to have faith to believe that you can do it, Lord, and that you will do it according to your time and according to your will and purpose, God. So, Lord, look at the needs that are represented tonight. Lord, look at your children. And that place where we think it's so impossible that nothing can change it, Lord, we know that you can. Nothing is impossible for you, God. You can change any heart. You can heal any situation. You can bring that person home, Lord. You can mend that relationship, Lord. So we ask right now, Jesus. We ask for a miracle. How do we worship with this song?